Good morning, everybody. Welcome. It's Tuesday already. I hope you had a good long weekend. I hope uh, you did a lot of things that you enjoy with your family and all of that. And uh, you probably ate a lot of food. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I believe um, today, like every day, the mercies of the Lord are new. And today is a new time, a new season, a new fresh day that you can receive the love of Jesus for your, for your life, for your heart. Hello, Janine. Good morning. Hello, Greg. Good to see you there. So, um, right, I'm going to start reading out of Isaiah 55. So, uh, let's see how long this one is, but uh, it's just, you'll see, obviously, the title is Unfailing Love. But uh, something I want to zone in on this morning. Okay, so he says, uh, Isaiah 54, verse 9, says, For this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So have I sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. Right, so God swearing. So uh, God also swore by himself to, with Abraham, where he said, In blessing I will bless you, in multiplying I will multiply you. Right? He swore by himself since he found no one greater by whom to swear. So you can read that also in Hebrews chapter 6. So God swore here as well. And he swore... He said this, I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. For though the mountains should depart and the hills be shaken, yet my love and kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace and completeness be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. All right, so what happened? Hi, Rob, it's good to see you. Hi, what happened at uh, Noah? The waters came down, and from underneath, the waters came and washed away all the unrighteousness. And eight in number was saved through water, if you read First Peter chapter 3. So, yes, there's wrath revealed in Noah's story. But it is not this wrath that God speaks about. It's about his love for Noah. It's about the salvation that he proved to Noah. He saved him from a wicked generation. So when God does something like this, the, right, the righteous remains on the earth and the unrighteous are removed. The ones that God love and the ones that love God are they remain, they are saved, and they remain, and the earth becomes their inheritance. And the ones removed, the, the ones taken, um, completely surrendered to unrighteousness, are the ones that would be removed. So everyone's saying, you know, all these uh, scriptures about Jesus saying, you know, Matthew 23, Matthew 24, the uh, one will be taken and one will be left. The, the two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. 
and uh, you know all these things two will be sleeping and one will be taken and one will be left and they attribute that to the righteous being snatched away in the rapture where Matthew 23 and 24 doesn't say that it speaks about the judgment that comes on the unbelieving unrighteous natural Israel and Jerusalem being destroyed and uh, the remnant being saved. Now, the remnant being saved are those that love the Lord, those that are righteous, those that receive the grace, those that believe in Him. So, as with Noah, so it was in the time of 70 AD as well, the end of the Jewish system, the end of that world. Now, Noah was also the end of a world, and the 70 AD was also an end of the world. So, um, if we just go to First Peter, no, Second Peter three. He says the following. If I'm a bit slow, our kids went for it last night. We didn't sleep anything. Okay, so so Second Peter says. For they willfully overlook and forget this fact that the heavens came into existence long ago by the word of God, and the earth also, which was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word, the present heavens and the earth, have been stored up and reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly people. Nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy and slow about what he promises, according to some people's conception of slowness. But he is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish. That's why he gives a lot of time for people to repent. But that all should turn to repentance. But the day of the Lord shall come like a thief, and then the heavens will vanish, pass away, and the thunderous crash, and the material elements of the universe will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Since all these things are thus in the process of being dissolved, what kind of person ought each one of you to be in the meanwhile in consecrated holy behavior and devout and godly qualities? While you wait and earnestly long for and expect and hasten the coming of the day of God by reason of which the flaming heavens will be dissolved and the material elements of the universe will flare and melt with fire. Okay? It just says in all the other translations, the elements shall melt with fire. Okay? But we look for new heavens and a new earth according to His promise. In which righteousness, uprightness, freedom from sin and right standing with God is to abide. So righteousness would abide in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? So beloved, since you are expecting these things, be eager to be found by him at his coming without spot or blemish. And at peace and serene confidence, free from fears and agitating passions, moral conflicts. Okay. So what does this have to do with love? Quite a lot, actually. He says in Isaiah 54, this is like the days of Noah to me. 
So the first world flushed away with water. And the second world was burned up with fire, 70 AD. And Peter wrote this before the event. So that happened 70 AD. Okay? So the Jewish system, the Jewish rituals, that world of Judaism was completely destroyed. The temple was destroyed and burned down and taken down. But God says, those that love me, the, the righteous will abide. And righteousness will abide. So what happened with Moses? The righteous remained. 18 number was saved. If you read First Peter chapter 3. He says, Christ himself, the Messiah, died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, that he might bring us to God. In his human body he was put to death, but he was made alive in spirit in which he preached to the spirits in prison, the souls who long before the days of Noah had been disobedient when God's patience waiting, waited during the building of an ark in which a few people, actually 18 number, were saved through water. And baptism, which is a figure of their deliverance, does now also save you from inward questionings and fears, not by the removing of outward bodily filth or bathing, but by providing you with the answer of a good and clear conscience, inward cleanness and peace before God, because you are demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus. And he has now entered into heaven and is at the right hand of God with all the angels, authorities, and powers made subservient to him. So, like the days of Noah, he says, the eight in number were saved. The righteous remained. And after the heavens would crash and everything would be, heavens and the earth, the second earth, the heavens and earth would be dissolved with fire. He says, we're looking for another one, the third one, heavens and the earth. The first one was fire. First uh, water, the first one was fire. So Ezekiel says, though you walk through fire, it will, not, it will not overwhelm you. Though you walk through uh, the water, it will not hurt you. So going through the fire, going through the water, the righteous can go through all these things. So that it was spoken of a specific day. Now, he says, I want you to just go back to Isaiah 54. Oh, I'm already in Psalms. Okay, Isaiah 54, verse 9. For this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So have I sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. So, he's speaking to people and he's saying, the righteous, those who love God and those... Um, Loved by God. Those who stand in relationship with Him, who receive the sacrifice of the Son. This is now before the elements dissolved. This is now before 70 AD. He says, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you or rebuke you. So they were removed from Jerusalem before the fire came. Okay? For though the mountains should depart and the hills be shaken or removed, yet my love and kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace and completeness be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. All right. 
So Hebrews 8 speaks a lot in the same direction. It says, the covenant that God will bring after those days. It says, it will not be like the old where I withdrew my favor when they were disobedient. Okay? So in the new, God says, the blood of Jesus, the absolute demonstration of the love of God on the cross, the righteous dying for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. That is God's manifestation of love. He says, uh, that love will not depart from you. It will not, doesn't matter what happened, it will keep you safe. So because of the blood of Jesus, God will not withdraw his favor from you. Because the blood is the perfect sacrifice for all sin, for all time. Okay? So God's love means that in this good news that we have, nothing that you've ever done, can make God so angry with you that he wants to melt you with fire, that he wants to rebuke you or zap you with a lightning bolt. <laughs> okay? His love is set towards you, and we need to receive that love. So years ago, hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther, sorry, there's something in my eye. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not as eloquent as other preachers. So... Years ago, Martin Luther, he felt so guilty and condemned. He felt so conscious of his sins. He felt so unrighteous. Okay? So he, he felt that, you know, nothing could, could help him or save him. So he was walking through the woods, and the lightning hit a tree, and he thought it was God. So he said, okay, I'll study theology. <laughs> so... <laughs> Good decision. That was a nice light thing because he got us Martin Luther to, <laughs> to study theology. <laughs> okay, so that was his mindset. All right. So, but then he went to this university and he, he got access to the New Testament and he started reading it. So that's why he wanted to translate it as well. So he, re he read the New Testament and he believed it. And the big thing that Martin Luther brought in the, in the Reformation was the just shall live by faith. Obviously, he nailed his thesis to the, the church door at Wittenberg. But the just shall live by faith. That's what Martin Luther, the big revelation that he brought. Okay? So, um, Martin Luther had a vision. And he saw all his sins written up. And the devil accusing him, the devil appearing to him, and reminding him of all his sins. He said, yeah, this is, this is me. Yeah, I did this. And then drops of blood started falling. The blood of Jesus falling on the paper on which his sins was written. And it erased it, erased it, erased it, erased it. Okay? If you believe in the blood of Christ, there's no accusation against you so no wrath can come so no accusation can stick the blood of jesus which is the representation of god's love also if you read first john first john 4 around about from verse 7 to about verse 11 the 
the blood of Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. So here comes the accuser, Satan. Writes all his sins. What happens? He saw the blood, the love. The love that will never depart. The love that will never fail. Dripping. And he washed away all accusation from, his, from before him. <laughs> Justified by grace. Okay? So I want to read you Zechariah chapter, chapter 3. And then I want to go to 1 Corinthians. So in Zechariah chapter 3, there's no Aaron standing before God and Satan coming to accuse him. Then the guiding angel showed me, oh Joshua, not, not Aaron, Joshua the high priest before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at Joshua's right hand to be his adversary and to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. So who got rebuked? Satan? So what was the unrighteous in the day of Jesus called, O oh, you brood of vipers, seed of the, the serpent, serpent seed. Okay, God put enmity between the woman and her seed and the serpent and his seed. So the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were the serpent seed. They were the, the head of the seed of the serpent that needed to be crushed, the Sadducees, scribes, and Pharisees. Who, who did Jesus rebuke? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Who did he say woe unto them? To them. Okay? The serpent seed. All right? Then the guiding angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at Joshua's right hand to be his adversary and to accuse him. Now we know John chapter 12 says he's out of heaven. His place is found there no more. There's no accuser in heaven anymore. Okay? Verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. So God is standing in his love before you. If you appear before God right now, he's standing accusing, uh, uh, rebuking your accuser. Not rebuking you. Rebuking your accuser. Even the Lord who now habitually chooses Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this returned captive Joshua's uh, brand plucked out of the fire? So is not God's uh, whole agenda to pluck you out of the fire and to save you? So why would he be the one accusing you? Why would God be one to accuse you? Is not he a brand plucked out of the fire. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel of the Lord. So he stood there guilty. What could he say? And he spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to Joshua, Behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from you, and I will clothe you with rich apparel. Now, Isaiah 61 verse 10, he clothes you with a robe of righteousness. Okay? So what will abide? The righteousness will abide. So he gives you a robe of righteousness. Okay? He made his iniquity to pass before him. He took away his filthy garments. And I, Zechariah, said, Let them 
puts a clean turban representing, you know, the headdress, representing the thoughts on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with rich garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly and earnestly protested and affirmed to Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then also you shall rule my house and give charge of my courts, and I will give you access to my presence and places to walk among these who stand here. Okay? So... Rule the house, Romans 5.17, receive the abundance of grace and reign as a king. Access, Romans 5, verse 1, access by grace. Okay? So we need to understand this. When we read the Bible and wrath is expressed, we need to understand it's not towards the beloved. The wrath is not expressed towards the beloved. He swore he will never rebuke you. Never. Though the mountains should depart and the hills be shaken or removed, my love will not pass away from you. My covenant of peace will not be removed from you. So who is his beloved? John chapter 14, verse 21 says, If anyone has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who really loves me, and I will love him, and the Father will love him, and I will come. And make myself, show myself to him, make myself real to him. Okay? And then in verse 23 says, if I can just get to the scripture before it's over. And then in verse 23, he says, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word. So how do you keep his word? You meditate on it. You think on it, you believe it, you speak it, you do it, okay? If a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching. So that's the commands that Jesus said. He didn't say the commandments of Moses. He said, my commands. He said, Lord, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? It's not the rebuke, you don't do what I say. No, it's you do what Moses says, but you don't do what I say. Speaking to the Jews. It says you're obedient to the wrong person, Okay? Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, righteousness abiding forever. I hope this makes sense to you, all right? person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. So if you're in the word, if you, the word is in your heart, you know, Colossians chapter 3 says, verse 16, Where's Colossians? Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word spoken by Christ have its home in your hearts and minds. Abiding home in your hearts and minds. And dwell in you in all its richness. As you teach and admonish and train one another in all insight and intelligence and wisdom in spiritual things, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God with his grace in your hearts. All right, and then verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love and enfold yourself with the bond of perfectness, which binds everything together completely in ideal harmony. So you put on a garment 
of righteousness. What does that mean? You are clothed with his love. The one who really loves him is the one who does his word. So, you go and you let his word dwell in your heart in all its richness. And what will happen? Jesus will come and make himself real to you. What will happen? The Father will also love you and come to you and abide in you and with you. So, the common denominator here, the operating thing here, is you loving the word. Abiding in the word, letting the word abide in you. Okay? If the word abides in you, the spirit abides in you. And we know that Roman, Romans 5 verse 5 says the love of Christ. I hope that's not a shame because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You need to really anchor yourself in this identity. I am the beloved of God. And then read Song of Solomon. I am my beloved and he is mine. Okay? So you just meditate yourself into that. <laughs> I am my beloved and he is mine. He, he is, I am his beloved. Okay? Set a seal upon your heart, upon my heart. My love is a vehement flame. All right? So the love of God means that he will protect us and love us and show himself for us and be intimate with us in spirit and all that. But the love for his bride also means that he will uh, protect his bride against those that accuse his bride. And he will remove those who stand against his bride. And that's what happened at 70 AD. So 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, was just as much the love of God as the wrath of God. The love, his beloved, was removed from among them, and the judgment came upon them that persecuted the beloved, because it ended after the Jewish wars came after the persecution of the church. The, the love of God, he loves you so that he will, he will protect you against anything. Just imagine... Someone who loves his wife dearly. Will he just stand there and let someone accuse his wife and let someone uh, plunder his wife and his family and let someone, you know, rebuke and, and shame and torture his family? He will not do that. He will protect them out of his love for them. So there are these, these two facets to the love. But you need to understand that you are his beloved. That wrath is not expressed towards you. It's expressed to the sons of disobedience. It's expressed to those who hated him, who rejected him, who, man, who saw the miracles and still hated him and rejected him. And then after the cross, the gospel was preached to them to save them, and they still hated him and rejected him. Okay? It's not towards the beloved. You will not see the wrath of God. You are the beloved of God. He loves you and he will, man, he will melt the heavens and the earth before he will see someone bringing harm to you. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, now it's speaking about love. You know, also the Amplified says God's love in us and for us. 
So I want you to get this. God is love. He is love. And everything he does is out of love. So we need to stand in this relationship of love towards him. Otherwise, we're not going to understand him. Okay, so that's what First John 4 verse 7 says. Uh, if we love one another, we progressively become better acquainted with him and know him and understand him more clearly. Okay, so if you want to stand, understand God, show love. So if you stand in this, if you operate in love and if you stand in a love relationship with him, you will understand God. Otherwise, he won't make sense to you. Okay. So now, this love is now described. So I want you to see that you are the beloved and that God is love. All right. So verse 4 says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. So if I have someone that loves me that much, it's not necessary to be haughtily, to display myself haughtily. It's not necessary to boast. It's not necessary to try and make myself look like, I don't know, better, better than someone else. It's not necessary. Verse 5, it's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. <clears throat> so that's God towards us, but also that's God in us towards people around us. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. God takes no account of the evil done to him that you have done towards him. Why? Because of the blood, which is the manifestation of his love. So this image of, you know, you know in Revelation, the book and everything that was written in it. And the only thing that's written there about you is you love him and you believe in him. And then all the things that God did through you that you will be rewarded for. Everything that you've done by faith. God takes careful notice of those things. But he says, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So there's no book of remembrance of the beloved's sins and iniquities. God takes no account on, of any evil done towards him. Okay? So, um, but he does take account of the evil that the unrighteous and the hateful, those who despise the blood of Jesus, what they towards, do towards the body of Christ. He takes careful notice of that. Remember in Acts chapter 9, when Paul, well, back then he was Saul, was persecuting the church. So God knocked him off his horse, and flashes of light was around him. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So God takes it personal. You persecute my bride. Hey, no, no. You're persecuting me. Why do you persecute me? Say, so you, you need to stop this. He says, because uh, stop kicking against the goat or kicking against the bricks. He says, because it will turn out badly for you. So Saul, you know, he was fortunate. He got a very gracious warning. He was knocked off his horse and he became blind. <laughs> All right? 
So he was stopped in his tracks right there. So God says, listen, I want to call you. You're going to be my preacher. What grace. So he said, okay, go to the street called Straight and stay there. And, and Ananias will come and pray for you. Okay, and he came and prayed for him. And, you know, the scales fell from his eyes. So the persecutor of the church became the beloved. Do you see what the love of God can do? But first, there was a warning. If you, if you don't relent, if you don't repent, it's going to turn out badly for you. And look at how it turned out for all the others. Jerusalem was burnt down, destroyed, completely nothing left. It was the worst suffering in the whole of history in Jerusalem in that time. Don't persecute the church, okay? So, well, you won't, but... <laughs> okay, know that you're the beloved and God will protect you, okay? It's not self-seeking, it's not touchy, fretful, resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. it pays no attention to a suffered wrong does not rejoice at injustice or unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. So God rejoices in the righteousness that he gives to you by grace. But he does not rejoice when unrighteousness happens to you. Okay? Verse 7, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. So the moment someone repents, God says, man, I believe the best of you. You are holy and perfect and blameless, washed in my blood. Right? Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. As for prophecy, you know, it will be fulfilled and pass away. Tongues, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It will lose its value and be superseded by truth. Those things that he just mentioned, are extremely important. In an, and it hasn't passed away yet. But he says, the love will not pass away. The love will not fail. Prophecy it will be fulfilled. Knowledge it will pass away. He says, for our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, imperfect. And our prophecy is fragmentary, incomplete, imperfect. But when the complete and the perfect come, if you read Colossians chapter 3, also being folded in love, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the bond of perfectness. When the complete and the total comes, the incomplete and the imperfect will vanish away, become antiquated, antiquated, void, superseded. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, reasoned like a child. Now that I've become a man, I'm done with childish ways and I've put them aside. For now we are looking in a mirror that gives a dim, blurred reflection. So we don't see the fullness of, it, of the perfection yet. Of reality as in a riddle or an enigma. But when the perfection comes, we shall see in reality and face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly. Which means the prophecy and the knowledge, all those things, the tongues, is supposed to reveal deeper revelations of love that will never pass away. That's what it's supposed to reveal. 
I've been fully and clearly known and understood by God. So I, I will see clearly, even as I'm known clearly by God. Okay. And so faith, hope, and love abide. So any doctrine that makes faith unnecessary is false. Any doctrine that makes hope unnecessary is false. And any doctrine that goes against the love of God is false. These three things will abide. Okay? Faith, conviction, belief, respecting man's relation to God, you know, divine things. Hope, joyful, confident, expectation, eternal salvation. Love, true affection for God and man. Growing out of God's love for and in us. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim. Your great quest and earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual endowments, the gifts. So it says, or even the gifts will pass away, but earnestly seek it. Because it will reveal the love. Especially that you may prophesy, interpret the divine will and purposes, etc. May you experience the love of Jesus. May you know more of the love of Jesus. May every word you speak come out of the love of Jesus. May people that have any interaction with you feel the love of Jesus. May you know that you are the beloved of God, that he loves you, and that he will protect you, that his love for you will never fade, his love for you will never pass away, in Jesus' name. All right. So we didn't even touch First John 4, but you can go read it for homework. There's awesome stuff there. But uh, so bless you. Thank you for watching. And uh, I hope you're just having the most awesome day. We'll see you again tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Be blessed.